0: Welcome to finally another episode of Casted, here from IT University of Copenhagen, where we try to have conversations about well the borderlines between information technology and sometimes societal aspects. Not today, however. Today we take an unapologetically deep dive into the foundations of computing, the nature of computation, fundamental computer science, and the reason. Well, there may be two reasons. I guess the ultimate reason is that I really love this stuff, and the proximate reason is that there is a brilliant new result. By our guest, Nutan. Nutan, welcome to the show. Nutan Limaye. Thanks. Uh, to. Why don't you give us a brief potted academic bio?
1: Okay, sure. So I'm Nutan Limaye, uh, your new colleague for better, or for worse. <laughs> and um, so I joined ITU in September 2021. That's very recent. Uh, before that, I was at IIT Bombay for 11 years as a faculty member. Uh, before that, I did a small stint at Tata Institute of Fundamental Research. This is also in Bombay. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was my postdoc stint. And I did my PhD uh, prior to that at Institute of Mathematical Sciences. This is in south of India, Chennai.
0: In Chennai. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's my journey so far.
0: <laughs> awesome. And the journey ended with you being a major computational complexity theorist. Was that clear from the beginning, or is this... No,
1: not at all. Not at all clear from the beginning. It was completely a coincidence that I landed up doing complexity theory or even theory of computer Mm -hmm. science. Um, I was inclined uh, to learn something about computer science. This was clear to me. And I was uh, good at programming, so I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed programming. But uh, specifically doing theory, this was definitely not a plan. (laughs)
0: So the, it's just random encounters with just the right advisor or the, just the right courses? Or?
1: Yes, right mentors along the way and uh, some options which I thought were going to work out for me, they did not work out for me and that also sort of helped me get here.
0: Ah, so it's, <laughs> it's a bit like me and algebra, right? I, okay. I, I thought I thought I would become an, uh, I would do algebra because I saw those courses in math and I... I loved them and then I took one more ab- abstract algebra class and then one more abstract algebra class until it became clear that algebra did not love me back. <laughs> uh, so so I then ended up doing theoretical computer science instead and, and also fell in love with that. In fact fell in love with the circuit complexity, which is exactly at the core of this of this conversation.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, so so just give us the title of your recent paper.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the current paper that uh, uh, I have, uh, it's called Super, Super Polynomial Lower Bounds for Low-Depth Circuits.
0: Super Polynomial Lower Bounds for Low-Depth <laughs> Circuits. So I, and, and I promise myself that we're going to spend most of the conversation just trying to unpack those words okay. so that we understand what it means. Uh, just for reasons of academic, uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, candor and humility. There are co-authors to this?
1: Yes, of course. So uh, this is a work done with Srikant Srinivasan, who is at Aarhus University, and uh, uh, Sebastian Tavanas, who is a CNRS fellow at Lama, uh, France. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So yeah, super exciting result. I w- I, I'm surprised that, that this appeared in my, sort of my academic lifetime. I guess once I started understanding this question, this seemed to be something that I, that I would not see. But but now it's here, so that is, <laughs> Thank you. That is uh, it's, it's really awesome. I'm really excited about this because it's an impossibility result, and in some sense, that is the um, the most um, I guess intellectually valuable thing we can do in com- in, in computer science. And and I think that's non trivial. And just understanding that these results can exist and, and why they exist, and maybe even how we how one goes about arguing about those, that's um, that's super exciting.
1: That's very flattering, and <laughs> I think uh, uh, partly, partly it's true. I mean, I'm happy about this result. There are many more one could prove, I guess, but uh, certainly it fits in the theme of trying to show impossibilities in yeah. computer science, yeah. so because, that's
0: fun. Exactly, So because I guess as a first approximation, science is about what we can do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And maybe
0: sometimes it's even about what we will do, and yeah. it's not so often about what we should do, because that's often much more often politics. Yes. But science normally is good at giving us a palette of options of what is technologically feasible. Feasible?
1: Yes.
0: But this result is, in some sense, exactly the opposite.
1: Yes, it is about what is not feasible.
0: And. Yes. And, uh, and even here there could be many ways of misunderstanding what is feasible here. So there are yes. entire books written about what computers yes, can't yes. do.
1: Yes. So maybe I can uh, say a little bit about what is feasible, firstly, what we think of as feasible in computer science. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. everything that we can program in some sense, right? Like um, you ask me how do I divide two numbers, and one number by the other, and we can sit down and write a code for this. So this is feasible, and uh, if I want to navigate from say here to from the to say I don't know no no port, then that's a navigation problem, and that's again something that is feasible. Now you may ask, how fast can I navigate? What's the best way, etc. So all these are feasible. This is, this is within the realms of what's feasible by computation.
0: So feasible, tractable, computable—are these all the same? At least for this conversation, or
1: uh, so if we go to that point maybe we can make a distinction but for now let's just say that anything that a computer can program is okay, feasible for good. us and we could we could refine this further by saying that oh um uh, you know uh, so so i don't want to keep it completely at that computational level because we are going to talk about complexity mm-hmm. which is resources mm-hmm. on top of this so but just to get started what's feasible is what a computer can do for now
0: and that's also the historical progression that's right? the this historical
1: is- progression mm-hmm. of what's mm-hmm. what's possible mm-hmm. right so but um, as as we progressed computer science progressed computers were actually developed and so on and so forth uh, the notion of how much how many resources we need to spend in order to do computation also became relevant for instance if i want to uh, you know distribute some goods among people and i want to do it in a certain amount of time then is it doable you know in that much amount of time or is so the notion of either using time or using some other resource like energy or computational uh, space on a on a uh, maybe um um like a mega-computer, uh, supercomputer.
0: OK, so I guess, I guess for, for, for people who just follow information technology as users, it's intuitively obvious that computing time is one way that is expensive. Uh, heat generated by computers, energy consumed exactly. by computers is another resource. Uh, and yeah, memory, space, storage or space. Memory storage yeah, so that's is. where we have these huge server farms and put them in, in exactly. cold places. And from the perspective of a computational theorist, and sometimes these are all just resources.
1: These are all just resources. Mm-hmm. And then you want to say, okay, given these many resources, can I compute a certain uh, function or c- can solve a computational problem? So these are the kind of questions that started arising as, of course, computers became omnipresent. And uh, um, so, under the given resource constraint, is a certain problem solvable? This is a very natural question that one could ask. And uh, There were lots of problems that were actually solvable, and that's why we have computers everywhere now. But again, there were certain problems which were just intractable. Even if you throw um, a fixed amount of resources to that problem, within those resources, the problem was just not solvable. And it wasn't for you know, smart people not trying for it, trying to solve that problem. It was all the smarts of the world were getting together to solve certain problems, but they were just not solvable given the resources.
0: So let me let me unpack that a bit because even the word problem here means many things to many okay. people. So, okay. so there's a there's a tradition in philosophy that says that certain peop- problems are uh, computationally intractable, mm-hmm. but. Not for the reasons that we are going to continue to talk about, I, but I right. just want to put a pin in that and just explain that this is not what we're talking about, even yeah. though the argument in some sense is reasonable. Right. So the argument there going in some sense that a, a disembodied uh, computational device, such as an electronic computer, right. is not going to be, I don't know, emulate... It's not going to be able to emulate a human, for instance. So mm-hmm. that is... We could, we could view emulation of a human as... Or navigate in the real world.
1: Right, we right. You could right. view
0: that as a problem. Right. And then there is a tradition in philosophy uh, that says that by virtue of the fact that the computer is, for instance, disembodied, or there are certain aspects of nature that we cannot um, turn into numbers, exactly. mm-hmm. reify, I guess, is the proper term, then for those, I guess, epistemological reasons, or mm. is it ep- epistemic, I never, get, I could never understand these <laughs> words perfectly well, so, so there is some, some kind of philosophical reason for why these things are intractable. Right. That's not what we're talking about.
1: That's not what we're talking about. That's absolutely right. We are talking about... Um, so let me say what a computational problem is. Should I do that?
0: You hit me, yes. <laughs> then let me pretend to know slightly less about that. Uh, yeah, than exactly. Than I'm so to- I'm kind yes. of talking
1: to an expert, so yes. it's kind of uh, a little bit funny, but uh, <laughs> let me just pretend for now that... Uh,
0: I will, I'm be, the, I will to- be the audience's avatar here. <laughs> Please tell me about what a computational problem is.
1: Right, right, right. So a computational problem typically can be thought of as... You are given a certain um, string or an instance of, uh, so um, let, me, let me just uh, step back, okay, let me give you an example and then we'll move from there, okay. So given two numbers, checking whether one divides the other or not is a computational problem.
0: Such as 15 and 3 and, and one of th- five times the other. So here the answer was yes.
1: Here the answer was yes, Mm -hmm. right? But you gave a yes instance to this problem. That is, Mm -hmm. the two numbers, 15 and 5, was an input instance to the problem. The problem is, given two numbers, does one divide the other? Say the first number is divided by the second or not, is the question. So that's the computational problem. Now, the numbers you gave me were 15 and 5. So yes, of course, the answer is yes in this case, because 5 divides 15. You could have given me, say, Three and five, and in this case, well, if we are only working over integers, then it's not clear that three is divided by five, right? It's not. So uh, the, this is a no instance of the problem. Okay. So a problem is like mm-hmm. in this example, just given two numbers, whether one divides the other or not, and the answer. This is a decision problem. So what is a decision problem? You're just given a question, and you are supposed to say yes or no. And all the inputs to this problem can be categorized into yes instances or no instances. So the pairs like 4, 2 is a yes instance to this problem, and say 10, Mm -hmm. 3 is a no instance to this problem, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So this is
0: still easy enough for me to see because the numbers are so small that I can check these in my head.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. But you could have very complicated numbers. The first number could have thousands of digits. The second number could also have lots of digits, and then it becomes kind of not easy to just check with hand or just do the arithmetic in your head, but a computer can do it
0: and they are happy to do that it's, it's happy to in, do insanely it. boring repetitive work
1: exactly yeah. right, and this you can even the first first program you can write in when you're learning programming could be for this mm-hmm. computational problem mm-hmm. yeah let 's right? just spell
0: out it 's a for loop that starts with multiplying all these numbers. Uh, systematically until I find exactly. the 3 that with the 5 gives 15.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. right? So you can ju- do, yeah, there are many algorithms to do this. The one you mentioned is the most obvious one that can come to your mind because you we learn it in school. So this is something, we don't think of it as programming in school, but mm-hmm. of course we've learned it in mm-hmm. school, right? So... Um, so that's a problem. That's a computational problem. I did it. I defined it through example, mm-hmm. but one can do this very rigorously. You can...
0: And, but navigating from here to Naraport in Copenhagen is also a computational... but it's not a decision problem.
1: That's not a decision ah, problem, good. but I could ask you the following question. Is it possible to navigate on... Uh, is there a road that takes me from Diabuen to Nurport with less than thousand steps?
0: Okay. Fine, or or faster than 20 minutes, or, or faster
1: than 20 minutes.
0: Using public, tra- okay, yeah. Oh, but that's a very reali- realistic problem, right? That's can very, I get very realistic. can I get from here to? Aarhus using public transportation in three hours? Or do I actually have to rent a car, for instance?
1: Exactly, exactly. Okay, good. Hmm? Right. So, so you. This is also a computational problem, in mm-hmm. fact. What you can do to model this in computation is think of our, uh, you know, uh, Denmark's map as a graph. Mm-hmm. where you have...
0: Oh, but even graph is a difficult word here, right? Because okay. graph means two different things. Oh, network. Yeah. Network. Network, network. Yes. network mm-hmm. is
1: better, yeah. So then there are all the cities and the, you know, important places that we encounter along are the nodes mm-hmm. in the network and the links are the roads. Mm-hmm. The roads of the map are the links. And then every road comes with uh, the time a car mm-hmm. takes or a public transportation takes to navigate that edge and uh, so, so I won't go too much into details of how uh, we can feed this as an input to a computer but believe me that it can be thought of as uh, input to a computer and now this becomes an input to the problem, the answer of this could be yes or no, again.
0: I think it's believable, right? The problem is finite, uh, it's write-downable Exactly. And, uh, and even with a very naive view of computing you should be able to solve this by trying all possibilities or something in some systematic fashion.
1: Exactly, exactly. Mm? So if you are allowed to spend enough time and check all possibilities of things, then it's believable that this problem, you mm-hmm. can give, a, give an answer to mm-hmm. this question. Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: So that was feasible?
1: Yes, that is feasible. Mm-hmm. These are all problems that are feasible. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe... Um, Towards going towards sort of infeasibility, I ask you the following question. Okay, so there are uh, you look at the Facebook graph. So you are mm-hmm. what I mean by that is all the people on Facebook are the nodes in the graph, mm-hmm. and if two people are friends of each other, then there is an edge between them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is your network. This this mm-hmm. is the Facebook network, if you will, or whichever social media. Uh, 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 I don't want to say anything more about Facebook, but just, you know, take any network like this. And um, so now here um, you could ask. So suppose I say that every person uh, is allowed to hold a color. okay? And there are only three colors. So every person is supposed to be of a certain color, say, red, blue or green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now I say that if two people know each other, they shouldn't have the same color. Okay, so this is the constraint I want to satisfy on this graph. Now, the question I'm asking is, is there a way for all the people in Facebook to hold a color just among these three colors, such that no two of them who know each other have the same color? Mm-hmm. Say, if they have the same color, they get penalty. Mm-hmm. They get, they uh, you know, they...
0: This is a variant of a famous problem in, in graph theory where, where it started as map colouring, right? We have a, yes. have a map of countries and you don't want neighbouring countries to be coloured with the same colour. Exactly, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. So, uh, yeah, here you can give mm-hmm. a nice interesting uh, twist to this as well, but for now, yes, absolutely. You have a, a, a I mean, in the, in the country example, the graph kind of becomes, that, is, that can be laid out on a plane but in facebook example the graph oh, could be it's kind much of more complex. Uh, it's could, much more could complicated be quite complicated hmm? than that but yeah uh, uh, exactly it's the same kind of flavor of the question that no two neighbors have the same color and we want to color the graph in this way now this problem uh, also known as the colorability or three colorability problem is a well known np hard problem what this means is that um, not for the lack of trying we do not know any algorithm for this that we can code efficiently on a computer. So that's where the, this could be one example, first example of infeasibility. That is, we do not know how to code a nice algorithm to solve this problem. Efficiently. Efficiently.
0: Efficient right. because we do know how to write graph coloring algorithms. Yes. Uh, I myself am the author of some, and I, I try to very hard to make and them better. And it's
1: amazing literature, it's just... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah there's a I'm, huge I'm literature. I'm a fan, yeah. And,
0: uh, and, and many yeah. as you said, it's not for lack of trying. I I've, I've yeah. myself spent several clock cycles doing this. Of course, sure. yeah. of course, of hmm? course. So,
1: so the, the question here is, I want to do this as fast as possible. Maybe, you know, I want to do it as quickly as dividing two numbers. You know, so, so why is this ask, not
0: just a question of buying a faster computer?
1: Right, right. That's a very good question, right? So uh, why can't I just get a better computer and just do this, you know, faster? It it could work if your graph had very few nodes to begin with. So and suppose very, you very
0: had, few for you is what?
1: So uh, let's take that I have today's most amazing supercomputer and I have, say, Thousand vertices. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. It will be done in a less than a day, and there's no problem at all. But you know, the graphs we are looking at are not so small.
0: They have way more than a thousand nodes, right? Way more <laughs> P- than a thousand. There are, what, are. Are there a billion people on Facebook?
1: There are. I think there at should at be more than a billion people because people just create aliases also. Ah, so I see. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> some of
0: them are not even people, but fake people. Yes. Hmm?
1: Yes. Exactly. Right, but their networks can be very different from their and, actual... And, and
0: just to spell this out then, if you run this algorithm that works fine for 1,000, for, 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 a, for a network of size 1,000, if I run that on a network that has size 1 billion, mm-hmm. so there's a factor, I can't do this in my head, 000, there's a large factor between these, right? Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the algorithm ran on, I don't know, as you said, a day yes. on the small instance? how much longer do I have to wait on the large instance? Right. A week, a month, a year?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, it grows exponentially. Nowadays, hmm? because of COVID, we know what exponential oh, yes. growth oh, is. Oh, very good, yes. <laughs> thank, thank you to the virus for, <laughs> for
0: informing that. everybody about what exponential growth <laughs> means, so yes?
1: exponential growth means that, so this current algorithm, if it takes some amount of time, on more number of vertices, so from 1,000 to 1 billion, um, the the time it will take will exponentiate, which is that it will take, I too can't do this arithmetic in my head, but it could take like 100
0: years. But it, I think it will take way more, right? I think it way will more. take- Way more. So,
1: so if, we, if we actually write down the exact numbers, it will probably take something like two to the power of 5,000 or something like this. And this is because the original algorithm itself is going to take something like two to the n cube or something, and now n is growing uh, so
0: so but so then that should be two to the one billion yes and then we can do a number of computations per second
1: yes so
0: i still think this will take several ages of the universe
1: yes so yeah. so so if we yeah, actually do yeah. this uh, correctly and i can probably mm-hmm. uh, yeah so This will probably take more than there are grains of sand or there are, you know...
0: Way more, probably more than there are elementary particles in the universe. Elementary particles
1: in the universe. So this this is going to take forever. And this is also for the most uh, powerful computer today. It's Mm -hmm. not just about not having computational power, going back to your question. It's not just about throwing more computational power at the problem. It's just that the basic algorithm and the most improved algorithms as well, if the number, if the parameter that we are working with Mm -hmm. is kind of growing, is going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of time.
0: So waiting for faster computers is not going to work, but why can't we then just wait for a better version of... Me, people who write graph algorithms, right? Yes, so so yes. Why, not, why not wait for a better version of Thor, who suddenly has the good idea of how to do it faster?
1: Yes, yes. So this could still be possible. Mm-hmm. This could absolutely be possible, and in Thor we trust. <laughs> but uh, the thing is that um, if, for example, Thor is able to solve the problem...
0: He, he will not, but let's take but that as, say, a, say as a hypothetical. The, You're very gracious.
1: <laughs> if, say, we are able to solve this problem efficiently then you would have solved several other problems, which again are very, very hard in the similar spirit, also efficiently. So this would be a wonderful world to be in also for some other completely unrelated reasons, where uh, you are able to solve many, 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 many problems which we believe are hard and which we do not have answers to uh, in an efficient, efficient ways of computing them. But all of them will sort of suddenly start becoming easy to solve.
0: So, so here you're referring to the theory of NP-hardness? Yes,
1: I am. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what happened was that not only this colorability problem that I told you about, but many, many other problems were together uh, found to be linked to each other. Linked how? If one was solved easy, uh, efficiently, then the others were too. And, uh, this theory was, uh, of course, it's uh, ascribed to uh, Steve Cook and Leonard Levin. Uh, also, I think I should uh, add, uh, um, I mean, there's a long Richard's, history.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Richard Carp, Carp, yes. Exactly.
1: So Carp and uh, 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 Cook and then Levin as well. So they all together came up with these set of problems.
0: But that's also a good anecdote, right? Because Cook and Levin were not fast friends while developing this. No, no,
1: no. So yeah, the history is very interesting. So all of this happened in the 70s. This was the Cold War days, if uh, uh, if you recall. I mean, um, uh, I'm old enough, yes. No, but even the world, (laughs) like I think hopefully the world remembers. So Mm -hmm. 70s, uh, like the younger generation also, Mm -hmm. I hope, remembers. So. uh, 70s where us and ussr then the russia ussr they were um, kind of in a pretty uh, uh intense cold war with each other and uh, of course as war times are uh, you are kind of a uh, lot of people are busy trying to solve these uh, navigational or uh, you know large scale problems in respective countries so uh, there is there is possibly a reason why such problems were also being thought of Actively by a lot of people, lot of computer science, large diaspora, that that may be an independent thing. But what happened was um, Cook, who was a theory theoretician, theoretical. There was no computer science department, as far as I know, back then. But he was a computer scientist, he's a mathematician. Maybe Stanford
0: just started there? Just
1: started, maybe, yes. So So maybe
0: the the topic existed. The topic existed, of course. But they thought about themselves as mathematicians, I guess. Yes, Yes. exactly,
1: Mm? yeah. So uh, he and, of course, uh, Carl together um, uh, came up with the ideas of uh, hard problems, how they are linked to each other, reductions, and so on and so forth simultaneously leonard levin he was in ussr with no connection whatsoever to the literature that's being circulated in the us and he independently discovered this gave talks about it there is a documentation of he discovering it completely independently and i think this sort of a thing can only happen in mathematics where you know no yeah, it. it's
0: beautiful. there's this beautiful,
1: beautiful. Um,
0: um, quote that when the time is ripe these good ideas pop up like like in a spring meadow the flowers exactly. everywhere at the same time exactly
1: yeah. and I, I think like in a very dark way the cold war was in a way uh, like a hotbed for such ideas perhaps mm-hmm. because large scale problems were important for some reason oh and
0: and, and of the, the the connection between the 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 history of computing and war is is also super interesting of the, the course. first computers are built by von neumann as a tool, basically, for the American uh, nuclear bomb project exactly. in 44.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, of course, also Turing, who was involved in
0: also, and- al- also Turing. Oh, and then now we're getting the segue slowly to, <laughs> to impossibility results, yes. because so Turing famously also was involved exactly. in wartime activity in Britain in code breaking.
1: Exactly. Oh,
0: this is very elegant, because from code, we can also go to crypto.
1: Yes. Oh, uh,
0: so, but, but, so Turing at that time already was famous, because before the war, yes. he had proved there's amazing result in 38 or something, yeah. in the 30s, before the war, about the Entscheidungsproblem. So I love saying that because I'm German and I can say that perfectly. <laughs> I cannot, <Yes>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the life of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, we were still talking about feasible computations at NP-hardness. NP-hardness, and, yes, and then this and whole theory- story
1: between uh, cook Cup and Levin. Good. Yeah
0: and do we go to impossibility now or
1: Uh, we could we could we could Hmm? so i mean this is computational impossibility where we are talking about resources but you could also ask questions about whether something is just doable by a computer or not
0: oh ignoring uh, a more logical resources. right that's that's a good distinction right so okay so there are now we have already three different views of impossibility. There was the philosophical impossibility, which we just reject, not because it's not relevant, because, but because neither you or I have uh, any, any authority. expertise yes, on yes. that matter. Yeah. Uh, so, but from the, from the computational theorist point of view, there are at least two different flavors of impossibility. Yes, yes. One is a more logical yeah. um, um, one that ignores resources, yes. where things just can't be done can't be. full stop, even if we had the, not only the age of the universe, but entire ages of the universe. Yes. And that is Turing. Yes. And then there is the resource-bounded impossibility. Yes. And that can be
1: ascribed to, at least the early uh, stages of it, can be ascribed to Cook-Camp uh, In the leaven. 70s, yeah.
0: yes. And Turing is 30s? Yeah, yeah, give, yeah, give, yeah. Give, 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 give Give us okay, the entire yeah, computational complex... No, give us, give us a Turing 101 if you can.
1: Okay, so uh-huh. I'll try. <laughs> this is a tough task. Yes, but it uh, a tough task. <laughs> uh, okay, so the thing is that... Um, so Turing is in the thirties okay so he was uh he was in uh, uh he was studying in uh, britain and uh, he was he's a British mathematician from the thirties
0: oh, also maybe important no facebook at that time no google no facebook no no, computers, no of communication no the only no internet no computers
1: exactly and the only way people communicated was this through writing letters to each other and actually as a positive side of that we have Literature to kind of trace back mm-hmm. to some of the thoughts they had because they had to kind of communicate these thoughts through mm-hmm. really long letters, and there is also this lost girdle's lost letter uh, anecdote. Oh, but
0: oh, maybe that's we also can, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, but let's
1: maybe not get yeah, there. Yeah, but those who are interested could look for the girdles lost letter maybe at some point. But uh, yeah, so Church, uh, so Turing was uh, in the uh, in his. Uh, Around the 30s was when he was uh, discovering all these ideas. One of the main idea that uh, is ascribed to Turing at the time is uh, Turing machines. He de- developed a model of computation uh, even before computers existed. So Before,
0: let's say, digital computers existed. Before digital yeah. computers mm-hmm.
1: existed. Of course, you can, you can always say Abacus existed from the Greek times mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But, yeah, uh, as the computers we know as of today, they did not exist bef- when... Actually, Turing came up with the idea of a Turing machine. Turing machine is a um, conceptual idea of a computer.
0: And when Turing said computer, he actually meant a human, right? So when Turing wrote yes. computer, yes. He meant, because there was a job description, you could work as a computer, computer. Just, just as you could be a plumber yes. or a dentist. And you could lot, be a computer.
1: That's also interesting. A lot of women were computers yes. Oh, yes. at that time. Yeah. Uh, so the computers were supposed to be people, people uh, mm-hmm. who... Added numbers, or who computed, or, yes. you computed basically, mm-hmm. right? Added numbers, multiplied numbers or, you know, divided numbers or whatever. Manipulations with numbers. And a lot of uh, people involved were actually women.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is an interesting facet also. But uh, what he uh, thought of as computers is automated tools or automated devices which can do computational tasks for human beings so and the way he modeled it uh, is now known as uh, the Turing machine
0: and he called it the universal machine
1: he called it the universal machine and he kind of gave very elegant theory about how that universal machine can basically simulate any computation so if i give you give uh, Turing uh, an iphone today he will be able to write a code on his Turing machine for what the iPhone does, or if I give him my old uh, you know, 8086 uh, architecture chip, he'll be able to write uh, a code for that on his Turing machine. So the Turing machine was sort of a device that could simulate every other computer.
0: And I think, I think this is remarkable. So in, in, in 1930, he develops a mathematical model for universal computation yeah. and claims that any computational device that can be thought of is just a special case of my universal machine and this was before computers and then there are two well, or three generations of us building computers yes. and and so far we have not come up with anything that was not that is not modelable exactly. by by the universal machine yeah. so so, so his, his his modeling aspect has has been extremely stable
1: very robust hmm? very robust this yeah. is called the church turing hypothesis as well that anything that can be computed that can be computed can be done on a Turing machine. So yep. they put the put out this conjecture hypothesis, and it has stood the uh, test of time,
0: De- despite so, enormous technological advance.
1: Enormous, te- mm-hmm. exactly. Good. So amazing, yeah.
0: So back to the universal machine, and then so he he defines this thing basically just as a lemma. Yes. To prove something much stronger.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So so now um, so uh, should I be talking about? Uh, so you would like me to talk uh-huh. a little more this about... Is, <laughs> this is such a huge topic, right? And yeah, I, I, so I'm not sure which uh, rabbit no, hole no, no, we are in. No, 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 all of them to...
0: are rabbit holes, right? and, we, <laughs> and we like them. I guess there there should be a way from impossibility results in Turing's mm-hmm. uh, world. right? And then, I don't know, maybe we can park Gödel, maybe I find a logician at some other point of time. And, yes, yes, and, yes, yes, no, and, uh, sure, and, uh, yeah. And so then from Turing, maybe one can go to polynomial time computation?
1: Okay, Yeah. Let's see. Let's Let's try this. (laughs) So, okay. So, so what Turing did was came up with these amazing Turing machines and uh, universal Turing machines and so on. Uh, Modelled computation even before computers were there. So, this we have talked about already. So, now it's easy to now um, talk about uh, different types of these Turing machines and throwing so 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 one thing he firstly managed to show in uh for turing machines was that there are problems that are just not computable by any turing machine right so this this is a, the first if if you want to call it the first impossibility result that there are these problems like we talked about the different problems there are problems uh, I, they are not very hard to define but which are just not solvable by any computational model Ever.
0: For enormously deep logical reason, right? For so, enormously
1: deep logical yeah, yeah. reasons.
0: On some other civilization on on a, on a different planet, yes. they would come up with the same result.
1: They would come up with the same result. Yeah. So so uh, this also kind of uh, connects to certain mathematicians that existed prior to this, Cantor being the main person. So Cantor had a diagonalization proof. So what he tried to show was something about sets and so on. So he, he was dealing with mathematics. And he was able to show that you know there are two different types of infinities. There are natural numbers, which are of course infinite. There are real numbers, which are also infinite, but the two infinities are different. You know, this real the infinities in the real world in the in the in the real numbers is substantially different from the infinity of the natural numbers, and, and, this, and in
0: some sense larger, and, and, and yeah.
1: you way larger. Mm-hmm. I mean. There is no way to map this infinity to the the natural number infinity to the real number infinity. He proved that, right? And uh, this this can be thought of as the first mathematical, uh, not the first, but one of the mathematical impossibility results that nicely carries over to computer science. So this is a ma- impossibility result. Why? Because it says not every real number is a natural number. Mm-hmm. So suppose somebody tried to say, show me how do I write this uh, real number as a natural number or you know as a ratio like, of two natural numbers even yeah. uh, can you say that there are real numbers which cannot be written as a ratio of two natural numbers pi
0: would be an example right? pi would be so, an example so we, we know, know that. that now
1: we know that now mm-hmm. but can one prove that mm-hmm. can one prove that there are there are real numbers which cannot be written as a ratio of two natural numbers and uh, cantor was able to prove that so so that's one uh, example of impossibility result this was literally carried over as a diagonalization proof in the computational world by Turing.
0: Oh, you mean the melody of the proof, because Cantor's argument is surprisingly short. For such a mind-blowing insight, yeah, yeah. it's surprisingly short and just takes But five, it's exactly five that.
1: But I'm claiming it's exactly that by Turing. Because, Why? Go ahead. Because you can think of Turing machines as objects which can be described using finitely many bits. So, you know, any program you give me, how does the computer read it? You just convert it into a string of zeros and ones and feed it to the computer. Okay,
0: the program is already a string of very, very finite alphabet, and then you exactly. basically just say my, my letters can be replaced by zeros and ones. Exactly. So every, okay, I give you that. Every program is just a sequence of symbols from a finite alphabet.
1: Right, hmm? right. Now, let's look at all possible problems in the world. Right, all possible problems in the world.
0: Can we restrict to computational problems? Yes, computational problems. Climate change and world hunger, which are also problems. Yeah,
1: no, no, Hmm? no, not those kind of Mm? problems. Computational problems. Yes, sorry. So all computational problems, and it turns out that Turing machines are sort of like the natural numbers in this world, and subsets of problems are sort of the real numbers in this world. So
0: I guess the first part is believable enough, right? If I, I can just write out systematically all computer programs in a specific programming language right. and sort them as if they were in a library. So most of them will be nonsense, but, but all programs, all Python programs will be on that list. Right. Um, and since that list can be enumerated, first, exactly. first program, second program, third program, they are just like the natural numbers? They're okay. just like
1: the natural numbers. I think
0: that is believable. The other part...
1: Not so much, but one can think of it like this, right? Um, suppose I told you that instead of looking at natural numbers, let's look at subsets of natural numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, this is already a more complicated mm-hmm. object, right? And computational problems can actually be thought of as subsets of natural numbers because they are they are putting together, say, all yes instances. Right, so for a problem ah,
0: infinitely large but infinitely
1: large, but they kind of model mm-hmm. a subset okay good okay so so like this like the
0: five comma and and the and three ten and the other set
1: exactly right so 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 okay. so, ah. so all the yes instances can be thought of as subsets again of problems, so now instead of listing problems themselves, let me just in my head list the list all the positive instances of problems as hmm for the name say mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give that as the name holder for that problem mm-hmm. all the yes instances mm-hmm. are the name holder mm-hmm. for that problem so now this starts to look like subsets yes and now basically the same cantor proof is
0: oh man okay so okay <laughs> so fine wow so so your ambition here was to actually in a conversation prove turings impossibility results yes over a cup of coffee <laughs> yeah, I think that works. Right? That should work yeah, because because sure. the uh, subsets have a different kind exactly. of infinity.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, it is exactly that. It is exactly that because wow. if you now enumerate subsets and change the diagonal, Good. you basically get the same thing. Say, it's the same result. You can reword it now.
0: So, having lost the entire audience by now, let's reemerge.
1: Yes, reemerge. And, yeah. And, I, I, so I'm sorry about this. No, this but is this
0: is awesome. This is brilliant. <laughs> um, just you yeah, listen to this at half speed, then I think everything is in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Good. So that was Turing's impossibility result, which shows that no matter how many resources we have, there are some problems yes. that we cannot compute full stop.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: But. And that is sort of a mathematical uh, view of understanding what computation is. But we are computer scientists. We care about the resources. We care
1: about the resources. Mm-hmm. And then actually in the 70s, so Turing happened in the 30s and mm-hmm. 40s. Of course, Turing got very busy with the work related to the war, mm-hmm. Second World War. And, and then
0: he built computers after that. Then the, he built the 40s, computers yes.
1: and von Neumann also mm-hmm. built computers simultaneously. And uh, so he actually came up with the first computer as well, the physical device mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, he's done amazing work, of course. So, but going forward in uh, the study of impossibility results in the 70s, people started to prove things like, um, suppose I give you uh, some, you know, thousand steps to do perform computational tasks, and then suppose I give you 20,000 steps to perform computational tasks. Can you tell me whether there is a problem that can be solved using 20,000 steps? Which provably cannot be solved by ten thousand steps, right? So this is also another impossibility question.
0: Yes, but now there is a there's a quantitative
1: quantitative uh,
0: part, pardon yes mm-hmm.
1: exactly. So now the question is, if I give you some resource bounds, and two different resource bounds, suppose more resources and less resources, can you prove that there are things that more resources can do that lesser resources just cannot?
0: Good, that makes sense to me, but I should be able to use some kind of counting trick. right? The, the, the number of Python programs, oh, that's now the length of the program, which is not it's the not same. It's not the length of the program it's anymore. It's not the length of the program, but it's the time that t- the program takes to run, and I can easily write very short programs that very run for Very short programs that
1: run forever. So for re-
0: where do I get from here?
1: Yeah, so this leads us to time hierarchy theorems, space hierarchy theorems, and and
0: so on. And this is in the 70s. This is in the 70s. They Hmm? also
1: kind of uh, come from the diagonalization proofs. So all of these also can be thought of as more and more fancy versions of Cantor's diagonalization. Cantor to Turing, Turing to this diagonalization. And so these kind of results were also proved. But these were not explicit uh, lower bounds. So I, I call a result a lower bound if uh, it shows that a certain computational model cannot solve that problem. So,
0: in that uh, time frame,
1: in that time frame, or whatever resource you in want to, uh, in yeah. that resource bound, in that resource bound. So, a lower bound result is a result which shows here is a problem that I cannot solve using these many resources. So, that's a general lower bound problem. Uh, lower bound result. Mm-hmm. Um, the paper that we are talking about uh, that we started out initially is also a lower bound result it says that a certain thing cannot be computed by a certain model of computation so in a certain in certain amount of resources mm-hmm. exactly exactly right so so yeah so in the context of that uh, now we are talking about come up with an explicit problem that cannot be solved using 1000 steps or 2000 steps or whatever n square steps or
0: and I, I guess when, when I first encountered this mode of thinking, my first circuit complexity yeah, course yeah, yeah. that I took, um, uh, I think, the third or fourth years of my studies, um, I, I think the, the professor said, if you have turned this to a mathematician in the 70s, they would say, oh, that sounds like a nice problem. And give me 15 minutes, and then I will find you one of these.
1: Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So the thing is to prove existence of certain problems that are just not solvable using certain amount of resources can be done quite easily. So How? Consider a problem that uh, set of problems that you want to show will consume more resources than this resource bound. Okay, you can say that. Look at all the resource bounds I have within uh, the model I'm trying to work with. There is so if I have some say t amount of resource bounds or t amount of time, I can kind of compute all possible different um, you know internal states that the program will be in within these T steps.
0: I guess state is fine, right? So the values of the variables in a particular, yeah. very restrictive programming language, for instance.
1: Exactly, hmm? right? So so you can always do this quite easily, that you can compute all possible different, um, you know, if you if I look at a computer's run, and I take a photo of it at every step. You know, mm-hmm. and it looks like something. The memory looks like mm-hmm. something. The sure. uh, you know the part of the code I'm reading looks like something. So it suppose I at every step step of the program I take a snapshot. Okay, so how many different snapshots are possible for a program that runs for t steps? Right, mm-hmm. I can count this number. Yes, I can count this number. And now if this number is bounded, which it is going to be, then there is something that it cannot do. Namely, something that requires more snapshots than this.
0: By, def- by definition? Or...
1: By just counting that there are so many other tasks in the right. world okay, good. which require so many more snapshots of computers, maybe perhaps mm-hmm. things that require T-square, mm-hmm. uh, m- machines that run for T-square time steps. So there's, there's a, like a counting okay, argument. Okay, there are
0: way more problems than there are computing um, histories.
1: Exactly. For, say, resource-bounded histories, mm-hmm. right? So if my bounded history is only for T-steps, then there are all these snapshots, which we can call the histories of the problem. And now, you know, there has to be something more than this. And you can actually say that there is something more than this. So these are the, these are the kind of uh, very easy-to-prove statements.
0: But they are not what we call constructive because they just yes. established that there exists a problem. We yes. don't know what the problem is. Yes. That is very hard.
1: That's very hard, Mm -hmm. exactly. So suppose I want to say, oh, this is the problem that can't be solved using these resources. We don't know how to say that most of the time. But we can say that there exist some problems that exist, computational problems that cannot be solved within these resources. Mm -hmm. So so these kind of results are called existential lower bounds. That is, there exist hard problems which cannot be solved using bounded resources. This is known and this is known for most models of computation. Mm -hmm. Just because for every model of computation, there are limited histories.
0: But what we really want is a concrete problem like, I don't know, DNA sequence alignment or some navigation problem or the graph coloring problems that you mentioned about. Lots of problems in optimization. Exactly. uh, Modeling simulation. Exactly. That... Uh, we are frustrated about right now. For instance, co- uh, um, simulating very complex climate models is exactly. an example of that. Exactly. Right? It's a very complex, very complex thing. System. Yeah. And, and our algorithms are not really good at incorporating all the data exactly. and, and uh, throwing more compute after it, as it's called right now, among the cool people yes. uh, doesn't really help us that much. What we really want is a better algorithm. We want exactly. people like me coming up with better algorithms and we constantly fail. It would be so nice to have a proof saying that this particular problem, yes. this concrete problem that we want to solve, can't be solved faster
1: exactly exactly exactly
0: and this we can't do in general this, this seems to be this has turned out to be really hard
1: this has turned out to be really hard
0: why it would be so nice right <laughs> it would be so nice
1: yeah yeah actually uh, maybe i should say why it will be very nice also i mean yes. apart from it being like a very mathematically enriching uh question there are concrete reasons why we want to show this mm. Right.
0: So you want to go crypto? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, yeah. that would okay. Yeah, yeah. we so, promised ourselves to have, a, have an unapologetically <laughs> deep dive into the nature of computation. But there are real good reasons for why yeah. would like, why somebody else than you and yeah, than other people of your disposition or mine yes. would care about this. We we'll yes. care about. Please it. tell so, us. So,
1: so for example, the buzzword here is cryptography. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me explain now why uh, that's important here. So, for example, when we uh, use our credit card. Uh, We are trusting a certain type of encryption in the process, right? I mean, we are kind of swiping something, it's reading part of our data, and then transacting money and money transactions are very critical uh, things. We lose money when we uh, give money to somebody, Mm -hmm. right? And if there's a fraud, there's a problem. So cryptography is a way of securely communicating between two human beings via a computer and um, Uh, What cryptography ensures is that many of these communications happen securely. That is, if there is um, um, a a fraudulent party trying to listen on this communication, he or she will fail
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in uh, creating a fraud in this transaction. So, um, all of cryptography is sort of based on the assumption that there are certain computational tasks which are impossible or hard to uh, uh, hard to um, execute
0: in this case decryption inverting the crypto exactly st- um, exactly the cryptographic step
1: exactly right so decryption um, not exactly decry- de- uh, decryption but what I would say is that if there exists if we are able to show lower bound results okay so uh, if we are able to say that certain functions are hard to compute under certain resource bounds, then that will ensure that cryptographic messaging is secure.
0: So, and therefore, a result like that would increase the trust in one of the basic building blocks of digital society.
1: Exactly. So So an impossibility result leading to secure communication, which we really care about in the real world.
0: So proving that something is impossible for us increases our trust in something else working.
1: Yes, exactly. This is mind-blowing
0: in some sense, right? Exactly. That, that it you, is amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. This
1: connection is beautiful mm-hmm. and it's practical. I mean, it's as practical as it gets.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the digital society would not exist today if we didn't have crypto. Everything exactly. everything we do that is useful, useful—not, I mean, a- apart from sharing pictures of cats, <laughs> yes, all the is. other applications that are not sharing pictures of cats are based on crypto working. And yes. crypto works because we have a, a shared intuition about some problems being computationally hard, exactly. and what you are doing is to prove that these specific problems are computationally hard. Yeah,
1: there's a large community. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know them all mm-hmm. well. Uh, so they are all trying to do this, They're trying to prove that certain problems are indeed hard to compute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why you want to show certain things are hard to compute. Uh, there is another less Obvious reason, which is kind of derandomization, but perhaps we don't want to go there.
0: Oh, that is even more complicated. Yes,
1: so maybe we leave that out because
0: yeah. then we need to understand randomized computation and. Yeah,
1: maybe it's not the
0: best. Let's leave that out.
1: Yes, perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so then let's talk about what algebraic circuits are, because they're then a specific yes. example of such a computational model.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. So so. What we talked about are the problems like navigation and uh, uh, you know dividing one number by the other. But actually, the dividing one number by the other is an interesting example, even in the context of what I'm going to talk about, right? So basic algebraic operations are something that are omnipresent in computation. For example, if you want to find out whether one number divides the other or not, this is an algebraic computation.
0: To plus and times. Plus
1: and, and times. Mm-hmm. and Division, if you mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Uh, or you want to ask whether you know uh, whether what is the determinant of a matrix, or mm-hmm. you want to ask uh, how do you how fast can you multiply two matrices, mm-hmm. or how fast can you multiply d matrices?
0: And, and now we're talking about machine learning. Suddenly, if there are <laughs> d matrices involved, it's deep learning, yes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is all very important mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And these these are actually algebraic objects because... Right, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so unsurprisingly at the core of all the applications that we see today, including uh, yes. cat videos, there is just plus and times, sometimes on numbers, sometimes on larger objects yes. like matrices.
1: Yes, yes, mm? if we make it mm? quite vague, it's really that, right? So, so if you have, uh, so the basic operators that we are, uh, uh, that one deals with uh, in many, many aspects of computation is plus and multiply. And you mm. want to see, How far can putting together these plus and multiply operators can go? So that is what is algebraic computation. Mm -hmm. So the area of algebraic complexity theory, which is what kind of uh, is one of the areas that I work on, asks the question that, okay, if I want to put together multiplication and addition operators and compute, say, whatever can be computed using multiply and uh, plus so, say arithmetic formulas, or you know, like a square plus b square minus three ab, etc. All these kind of things. How fast or how quickly can I compute them just by using plus and multiply operators? You are allowed to use minus. Sometimes you are allowed to use division, but that's it.
0: So, how fast now means how many applications of yes. the of the more primitive operator, right? You have a, you have a more complicated expression like a yeah. to the five.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Which I
0: obviously can compute by just taking a times a times a times a. That's yes. four multiplications. Yes. But can it be done with fewer multiplications? Right. Clearly not in the time.
1: Oh, clearly, yes, Thor. <laughs> 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 so you can do it by just powering, right? Like you take a and a, multiply them with each other. I have a squared. You have a squared. Now multiply a squared with itself.
0: And then I already have a four and a I- four.
1: So you didn't have to do this four times. You could just do it three times. Good. Right? And this kind of speeds up things. But, but this is
0: mind-blowing, right? This is, it's mind-blowing that the task of computing A to the power of 5 does not require four multiplications because the description of the task yes. in, implicit, the definition included the algorithm. Yes. But there was a better algorithm.
1: There's a better algorithm, right? Yes. And this happens all the time.
0: And this yeah. is just a microcosmos of everything that is beautiful and nice and interesting about algorithms.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That you feel like, oh, this seems like the most obvious things to do. Sometimes it's just wrong, that's one thing. <laughs> but uh, but if even if you are wrong, you may not be doing it the most efficient mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And uh, like in this example we saw, you could have done it with just three multiplications. Four were really not necessary. And uh, this, this scales up. This scales up quite mm-hmm. well, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then
0: the question you ask is, if we can do it with three, can't we do it with two? Or in general, if we have a large expression, a large exp- algebraic expression yeah uh, how few steps can we compute it in now now I I ended a sentence with a preposition which is bad English (laughs) hmm?
1: yes yes I keep doing that all the time Hmm? so (laughs) sorry about that but yeah so this is exactly the question that uh, you give you're given an uh, algebraic expression and now you want to ask how quickly can I compute it quickly can mean two things here actually one is how many operations I use and The other could be how many cascading of operations I use. Like, I use a bunch of operations, they feed into yet another layer of operations, then yet another layer of operations. How far or how deep do I need to go?
0: Oh, this is some kind of parallelism, right? Some of of the operations you can do in parallel, they don't depend on, on each other, but you have to wait for the computation of the first layer to be computed in order to do those on the the second layer.
1: Yeah, Mm? but at the same time, Mm -hmm. the things on the same layer can be simultaneously computed. Mm -hmm. So that's the parallelism here. If I
0: had enough computers. If
1: you had enough computers, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. So there are these two notions of what we mean by efficient in Uh, this kind of algebraic Mm -hmm. computations. One is how many operators you need, and then how many cascading or how many layers of computation you need. That's kind of the depth of computation. Depth. Mm? Depth, yeah, exactly.
0: Right, right. I I learned this in circuit complexity. Time is time is size and parallel time is depth
1: exactly yeah. exactly Good. exactly mm-hmm. exactly so so that's that's the kind of efficiency we are talking about these are the resources we are talking about so mm-hmm. all along we were talking about resources like time and space here in this model of computation which is just you put together plus and multiply operators now the resources are how many operators you need to use that's one mm-hmm. and what is the layering how many of the, mm-hmm. the how many cascading or how, how much uh, feeding of one layer into another, and to what depth do you need this?
0: So, we're making enormous progress in trying to understand the title of your paper. Now, yes. Right? So <laughs> Reminder again, so to just to see how far we are: yeah. impossibil- no, polynomial time lower super-polynomial low
1: super-polynomial bounds, super polynomial lower bounds uh, for low-depth circuits. For
0: low-depth circuits.
1: So, we know what-
0: Low-depth algebraic circuits. Algebraic
1: yes. circuits, yes. So we don't call it algebraic in the title, but it should be. But
0: they are algebraic circuits. Algebraic circuits. Mm-hmm.
1: So we talked about what circuits are vaguely. That's just putting together these plus-multiply operators. We just,
0: they're just glorified formulas in some sense.
1: They're just glorified mm-hmm. formulas, right, mm-hmm. exactly. right. And then depth, we talked about mm-hmm. low depth. Low depth just means you don't cascade too many times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we talked about lower bounds. So now yes. only super-polynomial is the only Now only, only super-polynomial, <laughs> which sounds
0: like a bit like a superhero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think super polynomial is kind of you know the uh, when you don't have too many glorious terms, you kind of just coin something. So. <laughs> uh, but super polynomial just means strictly more than polynomial.
0: It just and, means more than polynomial, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. But not necessarily exponential, just to spell this out, I actually understand this, but... Yes, exactly, but there, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is some, something between polynomial, polynomial and, and exponential. exponential. Yeah. There are functions between those.
1: Exactly, exactly. And this could be... This is, in fact, our lower bound is not exponential in some situations. It's only uh, superpolynomial. That is strictly more than polynomial, but not exponential. Yeah, yeah. but this is a function. Superpolynomial is a function that stays between polynomial and exponential,
0: so n to the log n would be an example. Yes, like n to but the log yeah. n
1: is an example. n to the log square n, and mm-hmm. n to the any poly log in the exponent, n to the square root n mm-hmm. is actually n to the square root n will already become exponential. So let me take that back. But um, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah I mean, yeah, it depends again, on for, what you yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I guess for most people, exponential just means very fast. Two to the N, but but exactly. we have we have a very precise uh, taxonomy of, of yes. these uh, very fast. Yes, and super exactly. polynomial exactly. is is, uh, is very 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 fast.
1: Yes, super polynomial <laughs> is faster than polynomial. Yeah. Polynomial mm-hmm. is what we call efficient. Efficiency means we should be able to solve certain things in polynomially many resources. And if you are not able to solve, that's a lower bound. You are saying that mm-hmm. you need to throw more than polynomially many resources at this problem. Uh, to to be
0: solvable and you know the problem for which this is true yes
1: indeed it is multiplication of matrices
0: oh that's super concrete
1: that's it you take d matrices each is n cross n that's your neural network if you want mm-hmm. it's n cross n
0: over d the integers matrices. or
1: no this is, you hold, you have variables now ah so mm-hmm. it's not integers but it's variables mm-hmm. so every matrix has a fresh set of variables mm-hmm. And now you want to just multiply these matrices out and maybe find out the one 1,1th entry of this matrix that comes okay,
0: so out. So I learned to do that in linear algebra class. It's uh, whatever, matrix computation. And cube maybe naively, and then, then I repeat that t times.
1: Exactly. But what our result says is that, so this is doable mm-hmm. if you are allowed to have lots of cascading of layers of plus mm-hmm. multiply, plus multiply. In fact, you if you have log n cascading, so... Uh, let me not say log n, but if you have sufficiently many cascadings of uh, plus multiply, plus multiply, you can solve this quite efficiently. What we show is that if you have just three cascadings of this, mm-hmm. then you cannot solve it. In using polynomial time. A, using polynomial. I guess there should operators. be some argument
0: saying that if you have exponential or maybe super exponential size, then this should be, do- okay, there's a meta theorem that shows me how to do that. I can just list the, um- yeah. okay, good.
1: Yeah. Fine. And in mm-hmm. fact, there are concrete uh, upper bounds for this problem mm-hmm. using just uh, three layers. Yeah. But we are able to show that, in fact, you cannot do better than what is the most obvious algorithm to solve this. So you come up with the most obvious algorithm to do this using, say, three layers of operations. Okay, That's like a divide and conquer strategy.
0: Maybe that's even obvious to me how you do that then.
1: It's It should be. It's like... It's a, a sum uh, of products. So, so you can basically do it in some product, some product quite uh-huh. easily. Why? Because just take these D matrices and kind of break them into square root D, square root D, square root D chunks each. Right. And now kind of recurse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this sort of a idea gives uh, okay,
0: okay, okay, this is believable to me. So, so I, guess, I guess exactly. the, I guess the tools that I teach in my algorithms class should be enough for me to see how to do that. Exactly. And then you say that what I can come up with there after teaching my own algorithms class and understanding what's going on there,
1: <laughs> You're being uh, modest, you can but now
0: prove that nowhere, not only on this planet, but any other planet in the universe...
1: You can't do better than you that.
0: You can't do better than that. That's exactly. amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, okay. Yeah, But that's what the result says. So it's for a concrete problem. And we are able to say that it cannot be better than what's obviously a person will come up with.
0: And I guess then that is maybe the other argument besides building trust in uh, in hardness of computation for, for instance, crypto. The other reason to do this is that it shows us it closes off avenues of improvement.
1: Exactly right. Because exactly. we don't, we
0: don't want uh, a thousand people like me uh, spending useless clock cycles trying to come up with a better algorithm, exactly. a better mousetrap.
1: Exactly right. So for uh, for humanity, say mm-hmm. that we shouldn't be spending our clock cycles on things which we know are computationally not possible. So also being able to say something that you know, whatever you were able to do within learning the algorithms course. Uh, is something that is the best you can do. Mm-hmm. Is another. I mean, it may sound a little pessimistic that oh, this is all. Is that nothing more to it? But it's also saying that okay, maybe pay attention to other problems which mm-hmm. need more attention and maybe are also feasibly attackable. And uh, so, so,
0: so, so uh, f- great. So, so there, there is the just pure. The pleasant part of having this aesthetic result which is just internally motivated, super nice math and it just makes you happy to see it. Yes. Then there is the societal aspect which is about trust in absence of computational solutions. Exactly. And then there is the what I I don't know, scientific hygiene or something that, that tries to prevent yeah, us from of, pursuing avenues yeah. that are that are silly. Exactly,
1: exactly. Okay. exactly, exactly. Awesome. So that's it, I guess. That was it. There
0: was an entire course in computational complexity. They're very pleasant. I, I got a lot out of this. Anything else you want uh, off your chest? No, that's it, it, I we, think. We have everything. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, Nutan. Yeah, this was super entertaining. Oh yeah, and, uh, uh,
1: I hope I <laughs> yeah, I oh, hope it went well. <laughs> well.
0: Everything is Googleable, right? Because because these things are now oh, of course, computer of science, and, yeah, and, uh, and, and and if this is just an an, an entry way to, 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 to pursuing this, I yeah, think it's I great. mean
1: it could also be thought of as just listen to the keywords and maybe you know if you find any of them interesting, go back and Google kind of a mm-hmm. thing. for most listeners, I guess. <laughs> thank you very much, yeah. Nutan,
0: and thank you all for listening. Bye.
1: Oh,
0: my God.